are in a series, if this is your first time joining us, we're in a series called Mind Renovation, Life Transformation. This has been a great, great series that we've been in for, I believe, six or seven weeks now. And it's practically a remodel like we would a home. We've been going through a lot of stuff, dealing with things on the inside of us. Jesus says to first clean what's on the inside and the outward will become clean. And so that's what we've been doing for the past several weeks is we've been going inside of us, seeing all these things and, and understanding the process of, of a renovation, how long it takes, what certain things are needed to have priority over in a renovation. Because we've been dealing with this from Romans chapter 12 that says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the whole reason why we're transformed in, in, by the renewing of our mind, the whole purpose, the scripture says, is so we can prove what is the good, what is the acceptable, and what is the perfect will of God. That's the purpose behind a renovation, Right? When you, this building right across the street from us just went through a renovation. It looked ugly beforehand. But now it's presentable. Now it looks nice. Now it's built ready to be used for a better purpose. And that's the whole point of renovating. That's the whole point of remodeling something to make it useful for a better purpose. Can you agree with that? Yeah. And actually in that scripture in Romans 12, that word be renewed is literally translated remodeled, renovated, literally translated to that. And so what we can take out of this is once we start to dig certain things outside, out from the inside, the outward will become ready. So often people in the church and in the world, we like to fix the outside first, right? Oh, you can't come to church, you have tattoos. Oh, you have to cut your hair before you can be on the worship team. Oh, you have to do this. You have to make yourself look good, right? But no one really cares about what's going on inside. No one cares what you, what you deal with on the inside. They just care about what you look like. But that's not how Jesus told us to do things. Jesus always looks on the inside. He doesn't care as much what's on the outside than he does what's on the inside, right? Now, don't get me wrong, he's not careless about what's on the outside. He just cares more about what's on the inside. He cares about your heart. He cares if your heart is positioned to him. He cares if your soul is in a good place, if your mind is in a good place. He cares for those things more than he cares about what you look like on the outside. That's what he cares about. But he says... That when you clean the inside, when you take care of what's on the inside, when you protect your mind, when you guard your heart, the outward will become clean. So often we, we think when we become Christians, we have to start living holy, right? We have to start acting holy, right? But we put an emphasis so much on the outward, acting holy, not sinning. And we take scriptures like that that talk about not sinning and not, not doing those things, and we, we make it a priority over what's going on inside of us, right? You may not cuss like you used to. You may not drink like you used to. You may not do those things, but are you in the Word? Are you getting God's Word in your heart? 
Because if you're not, it's all outward. All outward. When pressure comes, when, when trials come, it doesn't matter what's on the outside. Your inside is going to be exposed. Whatever you've put inside is going to be on display for everyone to see. That's why it's important to first clean out the inside and the outside will become clean. I've lived a holier life now than I've ever lived before on accident. What do I mean by that? I mean this. I don't get up in the morning and look at the Ten Commandments and see what I shouldn't do, what I should refrain from. I don't look at those things. What was that? Someone's phone on or something? That was odd. It's probably my wife. Where's that lady at? You want to preach out here? Love you. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, I know. I should have heard myself. I guess I am boring, huh? You know, I was listening to myself all week long, and I was blessed. I'm serious, y'all. I'm dead serious. I was listening to my own programs, and I got blessed by what I was saying. Some things I, I, was rec- I recorded last year, and I was like, well, that's a good word. Man, you ought to be changed when you come to this place. You know, God doesn't care about the outward, but he made me look pretty darn good looking. So, just had to throw that one out there too. I'm on a good, I'm on a good, good, good feeling right now. Come on, let's keep this going. What else is good about me? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anyways, what I was saying, I don't look at the law and the Ten Commandments every single day. And, and decide, oh, I'm not going to do these things today. I'm, I'm going to try my hardest not to lie. I'm going to try my hardest not to cuss. Do you know what happens when you, do, when you, when you focus on all of those things? You do, um, oh, come on, you're already educated, church. Let's go. This is going to be an easy message. But I don't do those things. And I found that when I've focused more on what Jesus has done for me, when I focus on the New Testament, when I focus on grace, the love that God has for me, the mercy he's extended, the grace he gave to me, when I focus on all those things, it causes me to, not live, a whole, to, to live a holier life than I ever could on purpose. Whenever I would focus on not sinning, I would sin more. But when I focus on how God already loves me, I just don't sin because I love him so much and he loves me. It's a relationship, right? You wouldn't go cheat on someone that... You wouldn't cheat on your wife if you so loved her, if you, if you treasured her with all of your heart, if you wanted her to, be, to know that she was your most prized possession, right? You wouldn't go off with somebody else. But it's in those moments where you start focusing on, on other things and start focusing on, oh, stop looking at other people, stop looking at this, don't lust over people. Well, if you love your wife, you wouldn't even be entertaining those thoughts, You wouldn't even be thinking about those things if you did. And that's the same thing with the Lord. We're in such a good relationship with God. I don't want to jeopardize that. 
And I, I know God doesn't look at my sin anymore. I know God doesn't condemn me anymore for my sin. But regardless, I wouldn't want to, to do something that would hurt him when, I, when he loves me so much and what he's done for me, right? When you start focusing on those things, you start living a better life. It's an inward out, inside out transformation, not an outside in. An outside in will, will cause a lot of trouble for you. So don't do that. Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. We're going to start there this morning. Some of you are like, what? He hasn't started yet? <laughs> Genesis 13, 14. I love this scripture because right before this took place, Abraham and Lot were together. And they had a lot of herdsmen, a lot of possessions, a lot of cattle. And they possessed land as they were traveling. But backing up before that, God had told Abraham to leave from his country, to leave his family and just take his, his own family, but to leave his parents, to leave his brothers, sisters, to leave all of those relatives. And then in that story, Abraham ends up taking Lot because Lot didn't have a father. And so Abraham kind of felt like his, his father in that sense, but he was really his uncle. And so God tells him, take your, your, your only family, you and, you and Sarah, and leave. Leave your family, leave your country, leave everything you know, and go. But he takes Lot, so he didn't listen. And he takes Lot, and they have all this possession. God still blessed him in all of the things that, that, in he, that he had, even though he didn't fully listen to God's instructions. But he still blessed them. And they get to this point in chapter 13 where Abraham and Lot have so many things, so many stuff, so much stuff, a lot of cattle, a lot of land, a lot of people, but not enough land to support everybody. And so Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen, they were having this this strife in the place. And so Abraham tells Lot, hey, I don't want us to have any strife. So for us to get rid of this strife, You get to select wherever you want to go. You take your herdsmen, you take your belongings, and you get to choose where you'll go, and I'll go the opposite direction, just so we can be freed from strife. And so Lot, it says he looks around, and he sees this place. It's so luscious. It's so green. It's so beautiful. And he says, we'll go take that one, the one that's appealing to the eyes. And so Abraham goes, okay, we'll go the opposite direction. And so they get separated, and we all know what happens to Lot. Lot ends up in this place, Sodom and Gomorrah, where inevitably it'd be destroyed because of their wickedness that the city had. And Abraham goes the other route, and you know his story. But this is what happens immediately after him and Lot separate. There's no more strife. There's no more division. Abraham hears clearly from the Lord. And it says this, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot separated from him, lift your eyes and look from the place where you are. It's northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Lift up your eyes and look from the place that you are. Now, I want you to take very, very um, careful note of those words. Lift up your eyes and look from the place that you are. Those are such important words because too many of us are stuck in life looking down at our feet where we are at. 
as opposed to looking up with our eyes to where we're from heading to. We're not looking towards the future. We're not looking at what could be. We're looking at what is right now down at defeat. What did I say? Defeat or defeat? (laughs) But isn't that the reality for a lot of us? Instead of looking up and looking with this expectation of the future to change, we're looking down at our current circumstance saying it can't get better. There's no way. There's no way this can get better. It's only going to get worse from here. Look at where I'm at right now. Look at what's happening in my life. There's no hope. We're looking down. Instead of lifting our eyes up, and looking from the place we're at. Not the place that we currently are, but from, meaning it's something in the future we're looking to. So this morning, I want to give you a message entitled, Faith for the Future. Someone say, Faith for the Future. Faith for the Future. future. No matter what current circumstance you're in, you can... Possess the ability to have faith for your future. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what circumstances look like right now. It doesn't matter how hard life's hitting you. You can still have faith for your future. But you have to work at it. You have to get used to thinking that way because a lot of us are accustomed to thinking at reality right here, right now. And although right now is a gift from the Lord. Now, there's this quote that I've heard from this really big theologian. And he said this, he said, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. That's why it's called present. That was from Kung Fu Panda, if you weren't aware of that one. (laughs) But that's such a, I love that quote. It's stuck with me ever since I've heard it. Yesterday's history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. And there's so much truth to that, that right, the day we've been given, the scripture says, this is the day that the Lord's made. I will be glad and rejoice, right? This is the day the Lord's made. And no day that we ever experience should ever be looked at as bad because God's given us this day. He gave us another day to live. He gave us another time so that we could be with him. But we're too, we're, we're too focused on all of the problems attached to this day to this present time. And so if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with life right now and you don't have hope for anything, it's often because you're too much, you're too focused on all of the garbage happening right now and you're not looking to what's going to come ahead. The, the, the truth is, although tomorrow may seem like a mystery, God knows it. God knows your tomorrow. God knows your future. And if God knows your future, then you can have faith for your future. If God knows what's lying ahead, then you can have faith in what's lying ahead too. The scripture says in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, in the Amplified Version, it says, For I know the plans and thoughts I have for you. This is from the Lord. Plans for peace. Someone say peace. Peace. For well-being. Someone say well-being. Not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. This is the Lord speaking to you. This isn't Pastor Matt talking. This is the Lord talking to you. I know 
the plans for you, the thoughts I have for you, the, your future. And they include peace, well-being, not for disaster to give you a future and a hope, something to look forward to. Amen? So let me encourage you this morning, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard life looks right now, God has a future for you. God has a better tomorrow for you. Amen? I was encouraged by somebody, a great minister. You know, I like to think about this minister as how Paul um, mentioned about one person in Scripture. He, He calls him the brother of encouragement. And if you know who he is, then then you know what I'm talking about. But Paul, this man was so encouraging that his name literally meant man of encouragement. He just encouraged you wherever you were going, wherever you were at, he would encourage you. And, and we need people like that in our life. But this minister that I was listening to, he's, he's the man of encouragement in my life. And he said that every single day should be the best day of your life. Can, if, if somebody asked you, what, what was the best day of your life? You would recall, oh, my, my wedding day, the, the birth of my first child, the day I got that promotion, whatever it is, you have a day that was the best day of your life, right? But what if you could expect from the Lord every single day that this day is going to be the best day of your life? What if you had this expectation that no matter what, this is going to be the best day of your life because every single day should be getting better and better and better for us? But here's the catch. No matter what circumstances you're facing, your day should still be better than yesterday. You have to decide that. You have to put that in your heart. No matter what happens today, this is going to be the best day of my life. Why? Because I'm alive and well. Because God loves me today. God's blessed me today. God's given me great stuff for the future. This is the best day of my life. And if you can commit to making every day the best day of your life, I can guarantee you, you'll stop focusing on all of the stuff Satan's trying to do. I already know a lot of people who are listening online, they're gonna hate this message, who, who think that we shouldn't prosper, but whatever. They can live in despair and they can live in suffering if they want to, but for as us, for me, for this house, we're gonna continue living in victory, amen? No matter what happens, no matter what happens, and I know you, you might, some people might be thinking, but how? When all this is happening in my life, how can I make today the best day of my life? If, when all this trouble is going on, if, if whatever I'm facing, all this is happening, how do I get past that? How do I make this day the best day of my life? It starts by understanding God's faith for your future. You need to understand that God has a plan for your future and every day that you spend is a day closer to those promises. It's another day closer to that blessing. It's another day closer to what God has in store for you. And when you start aligning your mind with the word of God, when you start understanding what God's will for your life is, then every single day from that point on is another day closer to you fulfilling what God's called you to do in this life. Do you understand that? Here's another great truth that I heard from a good friend of mine, Dustin. He said, you know, every single day, you're a day closer to death, right? I mean, from when I just said that, you're another second closer. Oh, another second, another second, another second. But what if you flipped it? 
every single day, every minute that goes by, every hour of the day is another day, another hour, another minute closer to God's blessings in my life. What if you had that mindset? Because they're there. The blessings are set before us. But we don't understand what that will is for our life because we're not in the word. We need to understand what his will is for our life. And if we keep looking down at our feet, where we're at, we're not even going to think about his will. We're not even going to think about what God might have in store for us. So the Bible clearly says that he has the thoughts, he has the plans, he knows them, that they're plans for peace. If you're not experiencing peace right now, guess what you can be expecting? Peace. If you're not experiencing well-being, in other words, health, what can you expect tomorrow to happen? Health. Amen? Amen. God has those in the future for you. If they're not your current reality, know that it's coming. Know it's coming. But here's the catch. Just because God has a plan, God knows the thoughts, he knows your future, he has faith for your future, just because all of that is true, it doesn't mean it's going to automatically happen. It's not going to automatically happen. God's will for your life, God's blessings for your life, God's provision for your life is not going to automatically come to pass. You understand that? Although it's there, although it's ready, you have to cooperate with it. You have to cooperate with God's plan for your life, God's will for your life. Because if you don't, you'll never see those things come. You'll be stagnant. You won't receive those things. Look, let me make it clear. God has them there. They're there ready for you to receive. But until you start making the effort to understand that, it won't happen. It won't happen. You've got to cooperate with the word of God. You've got to renew. That's why I'm talking about mind renewal this whole month or two. Mind renewal. You have to get your mind in alignment with God's. Get your will in alignment with God's will. You have a will and God has a will. And many times our wills and God's will do not match. You've got to get your will and God's will in alignment with each other. And they'll go on the same path. They'll be on the same track and you'll receive those blessings. Because you're, you're single-minded with the Lord. Amen? It's as if you're on a, on a race track, on, a, on a, uh, like a track around a field. And you have all those different lanes, Right? If you're in lane one, but God's in lane three, and God has all of his blessings lined up in lane three, but you're over in lane one, are you going to receive those blessings in lane three? No. Get in lane three. Get in his lane. But man, I don't know what God's will for my life is. God works in mysterious ways. No one knows the mind of Christ. Ephesians chapter five, verse 17, scripture says, therefore... Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Other translations say, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish, but understand, know what the will of God is. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. 
It's our job to know his will. It is, it is our obligation to know God's will for our life. I've mentioned this before, but God has, there's, there's different wills you can talk about. God has a will for the whole earth. He has a global will. This is God's will. And then here's God's will for your life. We're instructed to know both. What's God's will for humanity? Do you know? If you don't know what God's will is for all mankind, you're certainly not going to know what God's will is for your life. You've got to know and, and understand that God has a will for the whole world as well as for you. This is the first, the number one that I want to talk about. It is God's will for everyone to be saved. It is God's will for everyone to be saved. Second Peter chapter 3 says, The Lord is not slacking concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he is not willing that any person should perish. So flip it around. He is willing that everybody is saved. Now, you, you know that that doesn't always happen. There's people who aren't going to go to heaven. There's people who will not inherit eternal life. Does it mean it's not God's will? The scripture says it is God's will for none to perish. None. It's his will for all to come to repentance, but that doesn't happen. And the same thing's true with your life. God has a perfect plan for you, a perfect will, but if you don't cooperate, it's not going to happen. Second thing is, it is God's will for us to be freed from bondage. Freed from bondage. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the scripture says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For the purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose. In other words, the will of God was so that you could be freed from the oppression, from the destruction, from, the, from all the stuff the enemy is doing in your life. You could be freed from it. That is his will. Amen? Amen. You can agree with me on that one? Yes. All right. Number three. It is God's will for us to prosper in every area of our lives. Third John chapter two says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper. I'm sorry, not chapter two. Uh, you may prosper in all things. Someone say all things. And be in health. Amen. Just as your soul prospers. Now we're dealing with the soul this, in this series. This, is, this whole series is dealing with the soul. So we're going to be experiencing that prospering because our soul is being fixed. We're getting our soul in the right place. Amen? But he says, Beloved, I pray above all things that you prosper. That you prosper and be in health. It is God's will for you to prosper in finances, in health, in relationships, at your workplace, in your ministry place, in your kid's life, in your family's life. He wants you to prosper. That's his will. So that's his will for everybody. That's, that's, 
that, that's non-exclusive. He wants everyone to experience this. Now, there's a lot more you can talk about when it comes to the will of God, but these are the main three. Saved, going to heaven, freed from all, it says, all the works of the devil, that Jesus would destroy all of them. Oppression, depression, sickness, pain, all of those things that the devil puts on you, you would be freed from. Amen? And prospering. So not only is your physical going to be prospering, but he has your soul prospering and he has your spirit set free. The main three things in your life, your spirit, your soul, and your body, in all areas, that's God's will for your life. That's the whole, that's, that, that can be summed up, God's will in, in just those three little points. This is God's will for mankind. And once you know these things, you can understand what's God's will for your life now, for yours. Because God has one specifically for you. And, and you might be overlooked at your work. You might be overlooked in your family. Maybe you have a bigger brother or a bigger sister and you're always in the shadow, right? You're always in the shadow of that sibling. You've always been overlooked your whole life. Well, let me tell you, God has never overlooked you. Never. He has a perfect will for your life, just as he does for mine. And I'm, I'm in God's will right now for my life. I can say that, that I am in God's will. I might not be doing it perfectly, but I know I am in his will for my life. And you can get to that place too. If you're struggling to find out what it is, you can get to it. Because the scripture tell us, tells us not to be foolish, but to know what the will of God is. Amen? Another thing I want to point out to you, in Romans 12, 2, if we go back earlier, it says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, someone say prove, what is the perfect, or I'm sorry, what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. When you understand God's will for your life, you'll be able to prove it to others. And that word prove, it simply means to make known and the actual, this is from the American Heritage Dictionary. It says to demonstrate the reality of something. To demonstrate the reality of something is to prove. Now, oops, pretend you have a chalkboard up here. And I wrote with the chalk, two plus two equals four. How do I prove that? Anybody? I'm not an educator, so I might actually be completely wrong on this, but this is where I feel the Lord's telling me to go. How do I prove that two plus two equals four? Well, how I learned it, you get one tally mark, one. Another tally mark, two. Another tally mark, three. And then four. That's how I proved that one, two, and one, two equal four, right? That's an explanation. That's proving to you two plus two equals four. I keep pointing to it like it's actually there. It was there in my mind. I saw the chalk and everything. That's how you prove something is by demonstrating it. Paul said something very similar. He says, I do not come with enticing words or excellent of speech, 
but I do come in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, linguistics and grammar and all those things was, is never my strong suit. I don't say that to condemn myself or to speak death over myself. I say that to point out a fact. I wasn't really great with speaking and, and all those things. So I can say this for myself, that when people are being touched here, when people are getting the word of God in their heart and it's changing their life, it's not because your boy here knows how to talk really good, amen? It's not because I know how to say certain phrases and make them real cool. I might make a joke here and there, but I'm not the best speaker. I'm really not. But that just goes to prove that I'm demonstrating the power of the Lord when I'm talking. Not because I'm smart, not because I'm, I'm well-spoken. Sp I don't even know how to say that. Well-speeched. <laughs> Because, there you go. There's the proof. No, but who, who, can, who can recall laughing all together in service because I said something wrong? I'm very, very eloquent in that. And I don't glory in my speech. I don't try to make myself sound more educated than I am. That's not who I am. I, I don't talk that way. And for me, the proof is in the pudding that when people come here and they hear online or they hear and hear and they're here and they're telling me that what I'm saying is speaking to them, that God's showing them stuff through my words, through my books that I write. It's not me going, yep, yeah, that's because I spent years learning how to talk. No, it's because God's doing great stuff through me. That's my proof. Amen. But that's what Paul said. He said, I don't come with enticing words. I don't come with excellence of speech. I come in demonstration. And that word prove is the same thing, to demonstrate. Demonstrate God's will for your life. Prove it. Make it known. Make it known to people. This came to me yesterday as, as I was just getting ready for today. But we've been talking about this whole renovation for six or seven weeks now. I have yet want, or yet to mention once the word blueprints. We're talking about renovations here. Usually when you're building something, you need blueprints, right? You need those blueprints. Well, if you are building a home or you are gonna construct something and, and you have the blueprints, how much easier is it to build the house than if you didn't have the blueprints? Come on now. How much easier would it be to build a house with blueprints than it would be without blueprints? It'd be so much easier. But now here's this. When you build the home, after you have the blueprints set, after you, here's this, understand the blueprints, you understand how it works, you begin to build the home. You begin to put pieces together and build parts together. And over time, after you've understood the blueprints and you've taken time building the house, then you can go to everyone and say, hey, look, everybody, look at this beautiful home. Look at the house that we built from the blueprints. And that's the moment people can admire and be astonished of the work that was created, right? You don't admire a house before it's built. You, you might have a vision for the home and look at the blueprints and go, oh, wow, it's going to be a beautiful home. But it's not as beautiful on those blueprint papers than it would be in real life, right? The blueprints help you demonstrate or prove that that house was actually on that plan in the first place. When you build the home, that's the proof that you followed the blueprints. Now, what if I told you that that same thing applies to the word of God? This is our blueprints, 
This is the blueprint to our life. And when we understand the blueprints, when we get the blueprints in our heart and we start building this beautiful home and we're finished, we go, look at what God has done in my life. And when people look at you, they can see, whoa, look at that beautiful home. Look at that amazing house that was built. That's because you knew the blueprints. But without knowing the blueprints, you don't know how to build yourself. You don't know what you need to do in your life. You don't know what you have to change on the inside without the blueprints. It's the same, the same concept with building a home and, and building your life. Once you're done, once, once we go to heaven, that's the, that'll be our finish line. But the, the time in between, when we're in the blueprints, we're studying the blueprints, we're getting those blueprints in our heart, we're building ourselves to be the best we can be for the Lord, people will start to notice People will start to look at the home. People will start to look at the place and go, wow, that's a beautiful place. How did you do that? The blueprints. You can do it too. And that's proof of God's will for your life. That is how we prove the will of God in our life when we follow the blueprint step by step until a beautiful house emerges. You receiving that? Thank you, Lord. You've got to know. You've got to know the will of God for your life because that's how you can build this beautiful home. That's how you build something so grand and that people can look at. And they're not, they're not, they're not accomplishing you. They're not accomplishing. They're, they're not looking at your accomplishments. They're not looking at your glory. They're not looking at you. They're looking at the builder, which is Jesus. They're looking at the God who created these blueprints to begin with. The one who, who, who literally stitched you in your mother's womb. That's the person they're looking to, not you. You're just the example. You're just the example. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, this is just moments before the scripture says not to be unwise, but to know the will of the Lord. It says, this is what, what, why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We were once asleep. And then when Christ woke us up, now we are the light of Christ. Amen? Amen. But then he says this, be very careful now how you live. Not as unwise, but wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The reason why I went back and showed you those, those couple verses was because the word therefore is therefore a reason. Wherever you see therefore in scripture, the words that are before that point are important. And the words before says this, that we need to be careful how we live, not unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because there's a lot of evil in the world. Christ says that we are the light. We're like a city on the hill, right? We're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it flavor anything? It's useless, right? You know, the Lord put this in my mind a while ago now, but Jesus calls us the salt of the world, the salt of the earth. We're not called the sugar, 
but people like sugar more than they like salt. We're not called to sugarcoat stuff. We're the salters. We're the salt shakers. We're the people that it's kind of, you got it, you have to mix it in well. Or else, one, if you just have salt straight up, it's going to be really gross and hard to eat. We're salt, not sugar. We're not supposed to be sweet things and, and covering up stuff so people don't get offended. We're salt. And without our flavor, without that saltiness, we're useless. But Jesus also calls us to be the light. And we are the only Bible a lot of people will ever read in this life. We are the only thing of God's word that people will ever see. So we've got to know what the will of the Lord is. We have to know what he has for our life so we can help others experience what he has for their life. Right? If you were to understand that as much as, as you could, that you are the only Bible some people will ever read in their life, I can guarantee you things would look a little bit more different in your life. You would start to respond to people a little bit more differently when you're frustrated. You would start to act differently when people are, when you're on the spot. You would start to mind how you are in public. Now, there's a, there's a point to be self-aware. I don't, I'm not self-aware to the point where I care what people think when it comes to how I talk, like my, my manner, not my mannerisms, but the way I speak. I'm, I'm very blunt, very, very blunt. But that's because the word of God has shown me to let all men's words be a lie and God's word be true only. I don't want to sugarcoat anything. I don't have time to sugarcoat a point. And, and make it last five weeks and then hopefully nail you with the actual thing I'm trying to tell you because you might die tomorrow. I don't have time. I don't have time to waste. So I'm going to tell you how it is. Amen? Amen? That's how I am. I don't care what people think about me when it comes to that. But I do care how my life is a demonstration of God. That's what I care about. I care what people think about me when it comes to my display of God's goodness in my life. Amen? I'm self-aware in that aspect. Not in the aspect of, oh, what am I wearing or what am I doing? What am... You become, that, that, you're, you're now alive to yourself at that point. Dead to self, alive for Christ is what the Bible tells us to be. But we also have to be mindful of how we're communicating the gospel to people through our life. Amen? Amen. But we're the only Bible people will, some people will ever read in this life. And if you're a, a Bible walking around, but you don't have the will of God in you, it's as if you would take the pages out of this and all you are left with is this thing of leather. That's all you are, dead skin. You've got to know the word. You've got to know the will of God for your life. You have to. Amen? And let me encourage you with this, though. When, when you demonstrate God's goodness in your life, when you demonstrate God's will in your life, you're going to encourage others to put their trust in him, to put their faith in him. Wow, God did that for you? God blessed you with that? God made you free from this? How? That's your time to share. That's your time to inspire. That's your time to point them to Jesus. You know, the only, the, really the only reason why 
I want to prosper in this life. The only reason why I want God to bless me in this life is one, so I can give and be a blessing to others, but two, to show people I didn't do anything to deserve this. I didn't work for this. I didn't slave away for this. I didn't do anything but believe God so you can do this too. That's why I want to prosper. That's why I don't want to live in a, in a hut and have no AC in my house for seven months. That's why I want to be able to live a good life so I can show others this is available to you too. This isn't special to me. I am not this special anointed one. I'm not the only one who can have this. This is available to all people who put their faith in Jesus. That's my purpose in those things. But our demonstration of God's will in our life will help others be encouraged, be inspired to seek it for their own life. Amen? In Hebrews chapter 12, the scripture says, I therefore, or therefore we also, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And this is who Jesus was and did, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set at the right hand of God. That's what Jesus did. If you look at those words closely, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, Jesus had faith for his future. Jesus had faith in the future set before him. He was looking at what's to come in the future. Although I'm nailed to a piece of wood right now, I have something in the future to look forward to. Amen? He had a joy set before him. This is why I'm telling you, friends, no matter what you are going through in your life, you can look at your future with joy. You can expect good things in your future. Amen? God's a good God. He loves you. And he has great things in store for you. And if Jesus could do this, so can you. Oh, but he's God. From what I know, he was fully flesh, just like you. He was tempted by the enemy, just like you. He was faced with a lot of, lot of things, a lot of trials, a lot of persecution, just like you. If Jesus could do it, so can you. And the reason why Jesus did it is so you can too. That's right. Amen? If Jesus were to come down as fully God, like, like a Thor, if you can imagine that, like Thor. Thor is the God of thunder. So if, if Thor came down, if that was like what Jesus was like, just lightning here and lightning there and, and defeating the enemy, it would have been useless. Why? Because man, fully flesh, is the one who screwed it all up at the very beginning. So man had to come back down and fix what man did at the beginning. Not God. God couldn't come down and fix it all because man's the one who messed it up. So man had to fix it. So God sent Jesus as man. And your man, woman, whatever, your flesh, 
just like Jesus was on this earth. And the scripture says, as he is, so are we in this world. Amen? If Jesus could do it, you can too. Becoming more and more like Jesus should be our goal in the future. Becoming more Christ-like is our goal in the future. And I've told some of our Bible study friends a long time ago um, when we had Bible studies in our home, I gave them this analogy and said, think of your top five people in your life that you wish you could be like, right? Like maybe you have a, a famous actor you like, you want to be more like them, or a friend or a mentor, you want to be like them, right? We all have someone that we admire that we like. And I, I had them write out a list of attributes from those friends that they liked and they wished they had more of. So they wrote down these things and, and all this. You, some people would put patience. Some people would, would put soft-spokenness. Other people would put gentleness or strength. Whatever it is, there, there's these attributes of the people that they admired. Those attributes are what they wanted to have in themselves, right? And studies have shown, the reason I did this is because studies have shown that when you write a list of attributes of people that you want to be like, and you write those and you focus on those and you start doing those things, chances are you're going to start becoming more and more like that person, right? I mean, it's pretty common in, in friend groups. Um, when, when you're hanging out with somebody for a long time, they start to rub off on you. Certain characteristics start to rub off on, rub, rub, rub off on you and you begin to look more and more like that person. That's just how things work. And when you write this list, you, you begin to imitate those people, and you begin to become more and more like these people um, to the point where, where now people are looking at you and want to become more like you. Well, if you were to look at Jesus, if you were to write down his attributes, I mean, God did it already for you in here, but if you were to study his attributes and see who he was and, and want to be more and more like him, that will get you so much further than going to the Bible and seeing how not to be more like him and avoiding those things, Right? You would become more like Jesus if you just applied what he did in his life to your life. Amen? Our goal for the future, our faith in the future is to become more and more like Jesus. Not more and more like, like our president. Not, someone said, thank God. Not, not more and more like our, our, our boss. Not more and more like our mentor. Not more and more like Superman. More and more like Jesus. That should be our faith in the future to become more like him because when we get to heaven, we will be just like him. We won't have this physical mortal body anymore. We'll be, we'll be in heaven with him. Perfect, completely perfect. You see, we can't be just like Jesus here on this earth because he didn't sin in his physical body. He was perfect. We've sinned. In our spirit, we're perfectly clean which is what, that's what matters. But we still have this sinful body and sinful mind attached to us. When we get to heaven, we will be just exactly perfect, sinless in all physical, spiritual. We'll be perfectly like him. But if you were to keep your eyes on Jesus, like the scripture says, looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, you have faith for your future? Look to the person who perfects your faith. Amen?
Our goal and goal, our goal is to look more and more just like Jesus. I'm almost done, I promise. I have a lot to share with you guys, and it's, it's a good word. In Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26, this is the night of his crucifixion. It says, Jesus came to them with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. He took him with, Peter, with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And it says, we went, he went a little far, further, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He came and found his disciples sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you have not watched with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, Jesus was talking about his own self. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak, Jesus said. In verse 42, he says, again, a second time he went away and prayed and saying, oh, father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them sleeping again for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away and prayed a third time saying the same three words. Jesus, three times with the Father, said, if this cup can pass from me, let it be so, but not my will, your will. Not my will. We all have our will. And Jesus is our perfect example. He had every opportunity to give into his flesh. He had every opportunity to say, you know what, this is too hard I'm going to do what I want to do. He had every opportunity. But every chance he had, he said, not my will, Lord. Yours be done. Not my will. Yours. We've got to put away our will, our desires, and put God's on. Put God's in our heart. Because we all have our own wants, our own will, our own desires, our own, our own ambitions, which are good. But if you put them before Jesus's, if you put them before God's will for your life, you're not going to experience this, his will, and you're not going to prove it to anybody. You're not going to demonstrate it to anybody. Some people have put faith in the future of our government. Some people have put faith in the future of this country. Some people have put faith in the future of our education system. We have this hope and this look, and hopefully someday things are going to get better. Hopefully our government's going to come back together. Hopefully all this stuff, but then over time, as it gets worse and worse and worse, what happens? You start losing hope. You start recognizing that they're going to fail every time. We're putting our faith for the future into the wrong things. We're putting our faith, we're, we're, we're putting our life, our future into the hands of people who will fail. So many people I, I talked to today are so discouraged about what's happening right now and what's going to happen in the future, saying it's not going to get better, it's not going to get worse, and they just get depressed. They fall apart like a $2 suitcase. They don't have strength to endure the trials. Why? 
because they put their faith in something that's bound to fail. They have a faith in a future that will never sustain itself. And if you're having conversations about COVID, if you're talking about about the government, if you're talking about politics, if you're talking about all those things more than you're talking about God and his goodness and his grace and his love and his blessings and his health and provision for your life, of course you're going to be depressed. Of course you're going to be discouraged. Of course you're going to have no future. You're going to have no faith in your future because all that you're focusing on is things that are failing right now. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher, our faith. He's the only one you can wholeheartedly put your faith in for your future. Because he will never, ever fail you. I want to give you one more scripture before I wrap up. In Psalm 37, the scripture says, Do not be, or rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret. No, go to verse one, I'm sorry. Let's start at the beginning. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. The faithfulness of God feeds you. His faithfulness feeds you. His feed on his faithfulness. If we continue, it says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, this isn't saying he's going to give you whatever you want. This is saying when you start putting God's desires in your heart, when you start putting your desires away and seeking God first, he's going to place his desires in your heart. He's going to switch out your desires for his, which are better, which are greater. And he will give you those desires. Then it says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Verse six, he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Yet a little while... The wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Amen. Amen. Who receives that this morning? That you will be delighting yourself in the abundance of peace. What did I tell you this, this year was the year of? The year of more abundant Abundant in your finances, abundant in your health, abundant in peace. Amen? Amen. But all of these things first begin when you, number one, trust in the Lord. Number one, trust in the Lord. Just like it said, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and feed on his faithfulness. 
you've got to believe that his plan for your life is the best. You've got to trust that what he wants for you is better than what you want for you. You've got to trust him. If things aren't happening right now that you thought, or as, as quickly as you thought they would happen, continue to trust him. Amen? Amen? Continue to trust the Lord with your life. The second thing is to delight in the Lord. This means putting him first in all things. Delight yourself in the Lord. In fact, the word delight, it actually means this. It means to be soft or pliable. That's what it was translated to be. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be soft or pliable. In other words, have your heart sensitive to the God, to his will, to his voice over your life. Be sensitive to him. Wherever he wants you to go, you go. If he wants you to stay, you stay. If he wants you to say something, say something. But be pliable to his will. Don't have your will so hard and so set forth that nothing can move it, even God. Have your heart pliable, soft to the Lord. Amen? The third thing it says is to commit to the Lord. Commit to him. That word commit means to roll, like you're unraveling something, like the red carpet. You, un you unravel it. You roll it out. Amen? It means to roll, and the word way means a road. A road. Figuratively, is talking about a course of life or mode of action. To roll your life to him. That's committing to the Lord. The last thing is to rest in the Lord. In other words, stop being worried about your life. Stop worrying about how you can make ends meet. Stop worrying about how you're going to provide for your family. Rest in what he's done for you. Amen? Rest in his goodness for you. Amen? Amen.